0: Good morning, my name's uh, Tim, I'm one of the uh, one of your pastors here at church, and um, yeah, I'm really thrilled to be able to open up Psalm 8 with us all this morning. Uh, we've just come out of a really significant and meaningful weekend last weekend where we celebrated the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus, and I just want to say that we're really thrilled with how that weekend went, and speaking amongst us, there's been a lot of people who have found that to be a really helpful weekend for getting in the zone, I guess, of, for thinking about Jesus and contemplating his death and resurrection. And that's something that we want to carry with us for not just the rest of the year, but for the rest of our lives. Lives centred on the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that it also marked the end of our series. Going through Matthew's Gospel came to an end last weekend, and it was a real joy and a challenge working through Matthew's Gospel as we see as we saw God presenting to us his son, his chosen king, his king who saves. For two weeks, we're going to spend some time in the Psalms. Now, you might think they're just really convenient sermons to do between two different series, because you can do standalone sermons in them. But I want to push against that, actually, and say, actually, no, we're doing this because... We constantly need to be reminded of our privilege in prayer. We need constant reminders that we can come to our God and bring all of our prayers and concerns to Him. And there's a whole, different, a whole range of prayers that we can bring to our Father. And we have an access to our God. It's not the access that you have to your bank account, where if you have the right passcode, you, you get access. No, it's the kind of access of a small child. A small child who has access to their father. So people tell the story of a child who went and played in the edges or the hem of a king's robe and plays around and, and, and can any time interrupt his father who sits on the throne, who is a king. And And although a king has this responsibility to be ruling a whole kingdom this little child can say dad and the dad turns straight away to his child and that's the kind of access that we have to our god and so we want to be spending time in the psalms frequently because they remind us that we can bring anything to god in prayer the the prayer and the psalm that we're looking at today is psalm 8 and it's a psalm of praise it's it's a joyful it's a delight to spend time in this praise in this prayer so i'm going to read it and i'm going to pray and then we're going to spend a bit of time in it so let's read psalm 8 together O lord our lord how majestic is your name in all the earth you have set your glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would give us everything we need to hear what it is that you have to say to us this morning, to receive it with faith and with hope and with joy. Father, we pray by the power of your Spirit, you would cause us to delight in what you have given us in your Son, Jesus. Cause us to delight and set aflame the affections of our heart for you. And Father, help us to give ourselves to you in all of life. Help us to do this this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson are going camping. They pitch their tent under the stars and they go to sleep and in the middle of the night, Holmes wakes up Watson. Watson, look up at the stars. Tell me what you deduce. And Watson says, I see millions and millions of stars. And even if a few of those have planets, it's quite likely there are some like Earth. And if there are a few planets like Earth out there, there, there might also be life. And Holmes turns to Watson and says, Watson, you idiot. Someone's stolen our tent. What's supposed to happen when we look up at the stars? The universe is so vast. It's so out of our reach. And it's the kind of thing that, as we contemplate the universe, it actually has an impact on us. We feel something. And Psalm 8 is a beautiful prayer written by King David. King David was a prominent figure in the Old Testament, he was God's appointed king, appointed to rule over God's kingdom. And David writes Psalm 8, bringing two things together. On the one hand, David grew up as a shepherd, a fairly ordinary blue-collar job, one that meant working at night. So it was a job that gave him a front-row seat to the theatre of the night sky. Brutally long night shifts, which I'm sure some of you guys resonate with, the night shift. But it was an office that came with a view So on the one hand, he's a shepherd. But on on the other hand, David grew up as a Hebrew, a young Hebrew boy, one of the people of God, an Israelite. And so he would have grown up knowing the Hebrew Scriptures thoroughly, particularly the first five books of the Old Testament, known as the Pentateuch. He he probably would have memorized those as part of his upbringing. And so in Psalm 8, David brings together both of those things his acquaintance with the long night states, gazing at the stars, and his his familiarity with the Old Testament scriptures. And as he writes this psalm of praise, as we get into it, we're going to see that there are three reasons. He gives us three reasons to join with him in praising God. The first one is the heavens above, the second one is humanity below, and the third one is the unexpected God. So let's get into it. First, the heavens above. The psalm begins with a declaration of the praise of God. We're going to have fun with this. Here we go. The heavens above. The psalm begins with a declaration of the praise of God. How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. So David would have grown up with these words memorized. In the beginning. God created the heavens. So he sees the vast and the beautiful galaxies above, but his mind contemplates an even greater beauty. It's the beauty of the Creator. It's not just how majestic are the heavens, it's how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. There's an experience that researchers are calling the overview effect. Those who have travelled to space as an astronaut return to Earth with a transformed perspective on life. Renewed commitment to humanity and a care for the environment and a sense of transcendence. One researcher described the experience simply as awe. And he defined, he gave a definition for it. He says it was an overwhelming and complicated emotion triggered by a perception of vastness. So the experience of perceiving great vastness has an impact on us, doesn't it? And the universe that we live in is overwhelmingly vast. It's beyond the limit of our mind's comprehension, we, we, have, we can comprehend the size of the arm Hills or a large building, but, but our brains are completely unequipped to comprehend the universe. People have had different goes at trying to come up with a word picture to help people understand the size of the universe. Here's one that I heard recently that's quite helpful. If you were to hold out your finger in front of you like this, and you put one grain of sand right on the tip of your finger... And you hold it out in front of you, just like this. And it's a nice blue sky out in front of you. And you look at the grain of sand on the end of your finger. And if you consider the patch of sky that that grain of sand is covering, just that little bit of sky that's covered by the sand, there are 10,000 galaxies that exist just in that area of the sky. And if you multiply that out across the vast sky, we are talking about galaxies and universes and stars and planets and suns that are way beyond our comprehension. If that is how vast our universe is, how vast is the God who made it? How incomprehensible, how beyond us And verse 3 tells us that this is the work of his fingers. If the heavens above generate awe within us, how much more the one who created it. If you're a Christian here and you've given your life to following the Lord, isn't this God worthy of your praise? Isn't this God worthy of your worship? And, and not just not just the affections of your heart or the sentiment of your mind but isn't he worthy of dropping everything to go and follow so if he's really there behind the universe if he's really there and he's that vast he's someone that you drop everything for you li- live for him and it's not purely obligation either. When, when you consider who this God is, his vastness, the, the universe he's created, it's our great joy and our great delight to give up everything to follow him. He's praiseworthy. He's beautiful. He's good. He's, he fills us with joy. And so David says, how majestic is your name? In all the earth. And so he considers the heavens above and then he moves to consider humanity below. It's quite interesting how sometimes the same phrase can sound different depending on its context. And in light of what we've seen so far in Psalm 8, the majesty of God, the the vastness of the universe he's created, verse 4 can almost sound like a joke like a sarcastic remark. And it says, what is mankind? What is humanity that you would care for them? If planet Earth is a speck of dust in the vast universe, we must be like ants crawling on this little rock to him. Tiny, inconceivably small. It's part of the reason why looking at the universe can actually be quite daunting, Because one possible conclusion is that we're inconsequential, a speck of dirt, that life is meaningless or insignificant because of the size of the universe, and how it looks back at us with blind, pitiless indifference sometimes. And I wonder if that's a place that you've been before. A place where you feel like your life doesn't mean anything. You, you feel the weight of your smallness and perhaps you've been in a place before where it just seems like no one notices. And I wonder if that's, that's actually quite a prominent feeling amongst people in our culture at the moment. We know that our culture is experiencing abnormally high rates of mental health issues And living with mental health issues can be complicated, but one of the things that characterises it is a sense of meaninglessness. Lostness. I don't know what my life is for. A few things just to quickly note on mental illness. It's a complicated thing and, and requires a range of strategies to live with. And that's the first thing. And so we we want to just, I don't want to oversimplify it by what I'm saying here from Psalm 8. Oversimplify the issue. And and secondly, as a church community, we want to be a people who walks alongside you. if, If you are someone who struggles with mental illness. And thirdly, I want you to hear, and God wants you to hear, what David is offering to you. He's offering divine insight into the truth of your life. That in fact, God is mindful of you, He does care for you. And He spells that out in the remainder of this psalm, which we're going to look at. If you have a look down at verse 5, He says, You have made them a little lower than the angels. And crowned them with glory and honor. David's getting this from the Hebrew scriptures that he's been grown up on. Specifically, he's drawing from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. And he's referring to how God has created humankind in his image. Don't miss this. The very likeness of God is stamped into your being. It's no wonder that he says that you were created just a little lower than the angels. The emphasis is on how little that lowerness is. See, angels live in the presence of God in a way that we don't. So we're just a little lower than the angels. But even the angels aren't created in the image of God. See, out of every creature in the universe, only humanity is crowned with glory and honour. In other words, royal blood runs through the body of every human being. Every human is given worth and dignity. The very stamp of God is on your life. And so David and God and and the scriptures want to tell us this morning not to believe the lie that your life is an accident. Not to believe the lie that your life is meaningless. But to trust that God has made you in his image and he's given your life significance. He's created us, in a sense, royal. And like all royalty, we're given a kingdom to rule. And that's what happens there in verse 6 to 8. It lists out the dimensions of of that kingdom that we rule. So we're given oversight over the works of his hands, the earth and everything that fills it, the birds, the animals, the fish. And that's why it's important, actually, to to care for the environment, to do with your waste what you need to do with your waste, put your rubbish in the bin, and try to minimize your waste, and care for the environment. But that's not the main point that David's making in this psalm. The point that David is making is this. It's that the responsibility that God has been generous to give us is dignifying. God has actually given us a task. He's given us responsibility. He's given us a role to play in his universe. I wonder if you guys have heard of Jordan Peterson. Uh, Some of you may have come across him as you scroll Instagram or you've read one of his books or seen one of his uh, heated debates on YouTube perhaps. Perhaps. He's not a Christian guy, but he's massively popular in our culture at the moment. And he has this book called 12 Rules for Life. It came out five or six years ago, and it gives these 12 rules, and it's appealing particularly to a young audience, and he's giving these 12 rules instructing people how to live their lives by taking responsibility for themselves. You see it really clearly, even in just the first rule he gives. He says, stand up straight with your shoulders straight. He's calling people to take on responsibility. And I think this is one of, the, one of the reasons why his message has become so popular. It's because it's encouraging people to take on responsibility. And, and responsibility is dignifying. It gives your life direction and purpose and meaning. But in the world of Jordan Peterson, it's actually quite limited. It's only those who buy the book, and not to mention only those who read it. And particularly, it's only for those who choose to step up to the plate and take on the 12 rules that he's suggesting. I want us to say that that's not the case with God. See, God gives responsibility to us generously. He gives us the gift of joining him in the task of ruling his world. And that is dignifying. God has given us worth and meaning and purpose. So you can see how, in light of the second half of David's psalm here, we can read verse 4 a little differently to how we did before, can't we? What is mankind that you are mindful of them. Human beings that you do care for them. And so the psalm finishes the way it started. How majestic is your name in all the earth? There's no doubt that this is a really idealistic psalm. David reflects on what humanity was created to be. But the experience of our life tells quite a different story, doesn't it? See, humanity was created to rule the world with diligence and creativity, directing energy to helping the world flourish arm-in-arm with others. But we actually see a world that's upside down, don't we? People harm the world for their own profit. People sacrifice others for their own advancement. What we're created for is a far cry from what we experience, both in the world, and in ourselves. And the very worst of it is, is the subversion and the, the corruption of what we see in verse 6, that God made humanity, humanity to rule over the works of his hands, but in reality, humanity in the end becomes ruled by it. As they slowly, one by one, Each of us folds under the unrelenting power of death. And David, Israel's king, God's appointed ruler over God's world and God's people, if anyone stood a chance of of living a life that reflects what we see in Psalm 8, David would have been the one. Yet death ruled over David. David was subjected to it. I wonder if this is why David included verse 2, a verse that just seems to pop out of nowhere in this psalm. See, As he ponders the heavens above and the humanity below, he includes something quite unexpected. Verse 2, it's through children and infants that God overcomes his enemies. David was aware of his own weakness and insufficiency. And so as he considers the glorious crown that God has put on every head, the head of every human, he's reminded of something that was embedded in the Hebrew Scriptures. The reality that God is accomplishing his purposes through the weak and insufficient and the humble. David himself was an example of this. He, He was the weak and humble one, when he defeated Goliath. So it wasn't in his own strength. It was actually in the strength of the God who was with him. And so in the same way, I wonder if David feels like an infant as he considers the coronation of humanity, like a two-year-old given the task of managing a household. C.S. Lewis said this as he reflected on the coronation of Queen Elizabeth many years ago. One has missed the whole point unless one feels that we have all been crowned and that coronation is somehow, if splendid, a tragic splendor. And I wonder if governing our world and ruling over the world, as, as we see here in Psalm, it was meant to be exactly like what we see in verse 2. A partnership between God and humanity and ruling the world. God working through humanity to rule and care for his world. Because to do it on our own, in our own strength, would be, as C.S. Lewis puts it, a tragic splendor. A glorious privilege. But tragic as we, we consider the weight of what God has called us to do. One of my daughters about, uh, about a year ago walked into my office and uh, the office which is right at the end of the house, she walked all the way there by herself and she was carrying this small green bowl of chocolate chips to hand to me and she said, here you go daddy. And I was like, all right, great, I'll take those. Um, but am I meant to believe that she opened the cupboard door, grabbed a bowl right from the back, then collected the chocolate chips from the bag beyond her reach and, and poured them into a bowl? Is that what i'm supposed to believe she can't even put her own shoes on now when i see that i conclude that she did it all together with her mum. it was her idea she did the work but but she invited our daughter into doing it with her and why why would that be why would why would she do that well because it's fun it's for Adeline's happiness. It's for her joy and her delight. See, David was never meant to face Goliath in his own strength. It was always meant to be in God's power. And that's what ruling over this world is meant to be, a partnership between us and God. God inviting us generously into the task of ruling this world. He actually bestows on us this responsibility. And it's a responsibility that he knows is beyond our capacity and our competency. And why, why would he do it that way? Well, it's so that we would learn to live in harmony with him. Learn to appreciate that he's the maker and sustainer of the universe and we are not. And aren't we slow learners? That that harmony of of God working through us and us depending on God, that's the exact harmony that we rebel against. The sinful streak that's in every person's heart pushes against that. No one likes to be told that they're a two-year-old. No one in loves bracing their weakness and their limits of the capacity. No one likes being told that they're an infant. And it's a strong impulse in our hearts. It's set in my own heart, the wickedness that seeks to push God to the sidelines of the Tim project. And we, we see the worst of it in what we contemplated last weekend, Easter weekend. What what happened when this God who we're meant to live in harmony with entered into this earth? What happened when he came to visit humanity? Humanity killed its creator. People killed the very son of God. And so it becomes really obvious that the the psalm that we're reading here and contemplating this morning, it's an idealistic psalm, isn't it? It's a beautiful picture of what humanity was created to be. And yet we see how far we've fallen, don't we? Yet there's more to the story, isn't there? Because yes, David died, and the, but the unwinding of God's work in this world did not stop. To the fullest expression of what God is doing, even in this psalm, the fullest expression was not David, but Jesus. Later on in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews will tell us that God made the universe through Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the maker of the universe, and he is the ruler of the world. Yet he came to this world as an infant. See, what we see in verse 2 is really pushing beyond itself, pushing to get us to Jesus. The book of Hebrews even quotes Psalm 8 eventually. And it says this, after considering... After quoting Psalm 8, just previous to these verses, he says, In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels just for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Again, God is doing for humanity what humanity could never do for itself. Jesus gives the coronation of humanity perfectly. He lives it out in his whole life, living in perfect harmony with God in submission to him. And he defeated death. The enemy that never seems to lose. It swallows up our loved ones without discrimination, but Jesus wins. Even death ends up subjected under his feet. Can you see the hope in this psalm? Seems overly optimistic on the surface and when we first considered it, but it's actually realism. In Jesus, this is the shape of our future. Life ruling alongside him. You can't actually be optimistic about the future. Jesus will return to gather his followers to be with him for eternity. The future is secure. And when we consider how Jesus is the one who fulfills what we see here, we can declare even greater praise than David could. Verse 4 carries even greater significance as we look back at it through the cross. What is humanity that you would take on death and, uh, and die for them? Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Father, the heavens are your handiwork and the stars the work of your fingers. The universe is beyond our comprehending. But God, that pushes us beyond to see that actually you are the praiseworthy, glorious, majestic one. And God, you sent your son to taste death for us. To do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And so we join with David in praying, Lord, our Lord. Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth.